Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So uh, why don't you turn to Romans 8. We're going to look at the first 17 verses. So Romans 8 uh, verses 1 to 18. And we're going to be talking about, uh, we've been going through the sermon series Free at Last. And uh, all the way through Romans, we've been talking about the simple gospel as the overarching topic of this series. And today we're going to be focusing on a new power. And the first thing I wanted to ask you is why is adopting a new lifestyle so difficult? Why is it so hard for us to adopt a new lifestyle? Think about it. Just dieting or, you know, changing your, your food eating habits it's, it's been so hard and so hard for many of us. I, I know I tried so many different times and it like almost never works. There's something about the, the, the comfort of eating the food that I want and, and uh, indulging the things that I want to do, indulge in, that it just doesn't allow me to eat in a better way that allows me to uh, be in the, in the shape that I want to be. And there's so many other instances of how uh, real world scenarios or situations that we, that we have a hard time with. Another thing for me that's hard is... Uh, Flossing. I, I didn't really grow up flossing. I don't know if any of you grow up flossing. You should floss. Uh, and my dentist's wife has been trying to get me to floss. But no matter how many times she reminds me, and we have this funny phrase like, those who floss together stay together. No matter how many times she reminds me, my, my old lifestyle of just brushing my teeth, you know, washing up, going straight to bed, so hard to go against the grain of what's natural. Even though I'm totally free to floss. And in fact, flossing is great for me, just like dieting is, is great for me. But there's something still so difficult about changing our lifestyle and living in a new way, in a new lifestyle, in a new way that's good for us, that's healthy, that's actually beneficial for us. And <clears throat> I, I want us to watch this clip because I think for many of us, you know, we can find a little... Uh, little, you know, habits or things that we did like dieting and flossing, like, oh, it's not, not a big deal. But what happens if it's your whole lifestyle that you cannot change, that you feel trapped in, that you're not able to live in God's greater freedom that he has for you? And this clip is from the movie Shawshank Redemption. Some of you may have watched it. Really, really famous movie. If you haven't watched that, I want to encourage you to watch it. And uh, for some of you, I'm like, is this going to be a spoiler? A little bit, okay? But it's not going to, it's not going to spoil the whole thing for you. It's just going to one clip toward the end of one of the characters. is an older gentleman that uh, was in prison for about 40 years. So his, that was his lifestyle. He was in prison for 40 years or so. And finally, he gets out. Finally, he's granted freedom. He's on parole. And he's able to now live and walk and, and be a free man in, in modern society. But notice, one thing I want us to notice in the video is how he responds, what he does with that freedom, and if he really wants to live that new life that he has now. So let's watch this video together. Did you catch that? He didn't say much. But I think what he said was very profound. Terrible thing to live in fear. He just wants to go back to where things make sense. And... And for him, what made sense was 40 years in prison where things were comfortable, things were predictable, things were in his control, even though he was technically in prison where he didn't have the freedom. And now in this new world that he had the freedom, he felt out of control. He didn't, he didn't know how to live. And, you know, some of us are like, oh, Pastor, well, it's just a movie. But movies speak to us. 
because they speak to us something that's true about life. And for many of us, we think about our Christian life, we're almost exactly like this man was, where we have the freedom. We were for however many years before you came to know Christ, we were in sin, we were in bondage, we were in slavery to sin. And now, after believing in Christ, what did all of the rest of Romans tell us? That we are free. We are alive in Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are now free in Christ. But now that we are free, even though we know it, we don't live like it. In fact, we are afraid of it. We're uncomfortable with it. We'd rather go back. We'd rather go back to the comfortable ways of living with our old selves. And that's what we want to take advantage of and unpack. And I just want to mention one thing. I know that many of us are aware of the, the fifth wave and everything that's been going on. And I know some of us, this has been impacting us in ways that we, we never thought that we would go back to. That some of us, we've been going back to our old lives, old habits, old sins, old depression, old things at a faster rate than we've ever thought through. And more than ever, do we need to see what this new life in Christ really looks like and how we can live it out. And that's why I want to give us the one thing, and we're going to unpackage this throughout this passage, is the one thing is that the Holy Spirit not only frees us from our old lives, but frees us for a new life. The Holy Spirit not only frees us from our old lives, but frees us for a new life. If you haven't already, turn to Romans 8. We're going to read a couple of the verses and unpack what it means that the Holy Spirit not only frees us from our old lives, but also frees us for a new life. Right before I read Romans 8, I just want to give us a, a quick catch-up for some of us who might be just joining in the midway of our Romans sermon series. We've been covering a lot of ground. Uh, Romans is a very dense book, but I just want to give us some highlights of the things that we talked about before to give us some context of why Paul, who's the author, is now talking about Romans 8. He's talking about this freedom to live a new life. Look, think about it. In Romans 1, he gave an overview of the gospel, that this is the power for all who believe. And he started arguing very concretely, logically, Romans 2 and 3, saying we were all sinful, all broken, all not deserving of God's love, but really deserving of wrath. And then he moves on in, in chapters 3, 4, and 5 to say, well, if we are all recipients of wrath, what could hold us back from that? It's, it's by faith. It was by faith. And it is by faith in whom? Jesus Christ who has died for us. And he unpacks that in Romans 3 to 5. And as he continues in Romans 6, given that now if we have faith in him, we are now reconciled with him, that that faith allows us to be what? Now dead to sin and now alive in Christ. And he starts to talk about that in Romans 6 and 7. He talks about how we're dead to the law and, and we're dead to sin and alive in Christ. And he just, he starts to talk about what does it mean to be alive in Christ, but he doesn't quite get there. And in Romans 8, now he's going to unpack, what does it mean to be alive in Christ? What does this new life actually look like for us? And that's what he's talking about in Romans 8. So I'm going to talk about three things that the Holy Spirit gives us, three powers that he gives us to now live this new life in Christ. The first power that he gives us is the power to conquer guilt. It is the power to conquer guilt. And we're going to look at verses 1 to 3. Let's just read that first. And this is what it says. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh 
and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. So in these three verses, he's talking about the Holy Spirit giving us the power to conquer guilt. And, and right up in the beginning, the first verse, he says there's no condemnation. And all of, at first, we were probably like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where do we get that? <laughs> how, how do we feel that? Like, but I, I still feel this guilt. I'm still covered in shame. I still feel condemned in many ways. And many of us remember in chapter 7, what was the last thing he left us with? He said, Paul was saying, wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? So, yes, sure, I'm saved, but I'm still guilty. I'm still condemned. Maybe, maybe you've rescued me, but that doesn't mean I, I am not still sinful. That doesn't mean I'm still broken. That doesn't mean I am, I am now somehow a perfect and holy person. Even though... Paul says, Romans 5, verse 18, I'll just read it really quick for us. He says, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so that by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. What does this, what does this mean? It, it, uh, so we have no condemnation because what? Christ was condemned for us. So yes, intellectually, we know that there is no condemnation, but somehow deep down inside, we still feel condemned. We still feel guilty and we still feel broken. We can't help it. We can't help it. And how is it that sin is condemned? How is it that we are able to conquer guilt? Let's look a little bit closely because we can answer this in verse 2 and 3. I want to read verse 2 again and then I'll read it in the New Living Translation. In, In the ESV, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. In the New Living Translation, that same verse, again, read it together in the yellow. It says, and because you belong to him, the what? The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the what? Power of sin that leads to death. He's talking about a power. And I know in a lot of different translations, the ESV says the law of the spirit or the law of sin. But but what he's really talking about is not just a law in terms of rules and regulations. He's not talking about rules and regulations. He's talking about a power. And in, in other places, that this same word can be translated as a system or a principle. So you think about it. Read that again. The, the, the power of the life-giving spirit or the system of the life-giving or the, or the principle of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the system, the power, the principle of sin that leads to death. And he goes on in verse 3 saying, now the law of Moses is referring to the law. Those are the, that's the law that is of regulations and rules that were supposed to give us freedom but couldn't. Now he's saying there's a new system, there's a new power, there's a new principle that is able to now free us. Think about it. Remember in Romans 7, we talked about it, how, what, what could the law do? The only thing that the law could do was reveal our sin. It could not bring us life. But now Paul is saying, because that law is no longer present with you, now you are part of a new law, a new system that can give you this life. That word uh, in the verse 3, that word where he says condemned sin in the flesh, that word condemned, it means punished. It means destroyed. It means ended. It means sentenced. Paul uses a lot of legal language all throughout Romans. And when you think about this whole idea of being sentenced to something, when when you're in the, the court and you're sentenced to death, are you immediately put to death? No. Your, your sentencing is done, so you eventually will die at some point. But right now, that sentencing is saying that is your future state. You know it's coming. 
and you can still go about your life until that day come. It's the same with sin. Sin is condemned. Sin is sentenced. But that doesn't mean sentence is, uh, sin is completely gone. It still runs rampant in our lives. We're still affected by the, the consequences of sin. That's why Paul says, I, I, I do the things that I don't want to do, and the things I don't want to do, I still do. But we know that sin eventually has an expiry date. We know that sin will eventually end. We know that sin will eventually be destroyed. Why? Because this is the new system that we live under. And isn't that good news? That no longer are we in a system where sin runs rampant in our lives for the rest of eternity and we're always forever stuck in that situation, but we know that there's an end date. We know that there's a victory. We know that there's a hope. And given that hope, then we no longer have to live in this guilt and shame and condemnation. I, uh, I, I was just thinking about, uh, like, what, what are some things that I, I can think of that ha- give me hope, that allow me to endure in things that are really hard or difficult because I know that it's going to come to an end? And uh, those of you who are parents I know, are going to know what I'm talking about. The first several months of having a newborn baby are, like, one of the most difficult <laughs> seasons of anyone's life. Because what? The newborn baby has to wake up every two hours, feed, and that whole process takes 30 minutes to an hour, if not longer, go back to sleep and repeat every single night. So what does what your schedule as a parent look like? It's crazy. You're waking up at 2 a.m., 4 a.m. You know, if you're blessed, you know, your, your spouse does it instead of you, and you get a little bit more sleep, but then you got to rotate. And so every single night, I'd be like, oh my God, I am in the tyranny of the system of my son waking up every two hours. And it was just unbearable to some point. But there was something that happened, a glorious freedom that happened around the second or third month. And I think we were really blessed because we've heard babies that don't end up sleeping through the night until six, seven, eight months or so. But around the second or third month, all of a sudden, Noah started to sleep through the night. It was like glory. It was like one of the greatest things that ever happened in my life. I felt free. <laughs> like the power of freedom from all the tyranny of this old system of my son sleeping and waking up throughout the night. He slept a full, I think it was like 10 hours. He'd been sleeping around 10, 11, 12 hours a night since then. And now, as I'm taking care of him throughout the day, I'm like, yeah, it's hard and it's difficult. And yes, he still needs to feed. He's still, I still got to watch him. He still takes naps every two hours and I still got to attend to him, all that kind of stuff. But I know at 8 p.m. what happens. He goes down to bed for a good 12 hours. And I'm like, freedom, you know? And, and, and I am now, there's a, I don't know, there's a sense of joy. There's a sense of hope. There's a sense of looking forward to it that I just didn't have before. Why? Because I am under a new system. This is Noah's new system. It used to be the old, he's in a new system of sleeping through the night. And, and I know that's it's a little bit of a uh, kind of a superficial example, but I think for many of us, we don't realize what new system new law, new power we are under. Why? Because sin no longer is going to reign, run rampant throughout the rest of our lives. We are now, we know that sin has an end date. We know that death no longer has its sting. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55 to 57. It says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of us, we, we know that? How many of us, we, we know that Jesus Christ, at the end of the day, 
when he comes back, he's going to conquer everything. We're, we, we're going to have a new life. Sure, our bodies are going to be, but we're going to have new life with Christ. There's going to be no more tears, no more pain, no more sin. But do we live like that? Do we have that expectant hope and faith that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, has given us that power to overcome? And with that expectation of the future, that new system that we have, we don't have to live in guilt anymore. We don't have to live in shame anymore. We don't have to live feeling condemned anymore. Because we know that sin is the one that has been sentenced and condemned. And I want to challenge us because I feel like this quote by George Mueller has has been speaking to me about this whole idea. He says this, God delights to increase the faith of his children. We ought, instead of wanting no trials before victory, no exercises for patience, to be willing to take them from God's hands as a means. Trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. I'm wondering if some of the areas that you feel like you're falling, you're struggling, are hard, that naturally produce that guilt or sense of condemnation. I'm wondering if the way that we will shift our perspective instead of, of to constantly think that, oh, I'm guilty, I'm condemned, and all the woe is me, all this kind of stuff, we would say, hey, maybe, just maybe, this is God's way of training me to look ahead to a future victory that he has. That I am already not guilty, but I can believe by faith that sin is no longer effective in my life. That he's not, it has no, no reign over me at all. And I now live in this new system that will allow me to experience this greater freedom, the power to conquer the sense of guilt, shame, and condemnation in my life. I want to encourage us to believe that. Let's believe that. Every single day we wake up in the morning and say, I know the end. I know the end system. I know the end game. I know sin is going to be no more. So every single time I fall, every single time I, I mess up, every single time I struggle, I know that this is not the end. And I can have a greater power that's at work within me. Now that's the power. That's the power to conquer guilt. The second thing is the power to consider good. The, the second is the power to consider good. Let's continue on and read verses 4. To 11, order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the, things, <clears throat> for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you in you. So now we're talking about the power to consider good. And, and remember, last time we, we just talked about how we have the power to conquer guilt. But just because we conquer guilt doesn't mean we have the power to do what is good. We might feel like, okay, I, I see this hope and I know that there's something in the future, but I still struggle every single day. It's still hard. I don't know if I can do this. 
I know I'm, I'm positionally, I, 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 God accepts me and I don't, you know, he doesn't see me as sinful, but the reality is every single day I feel so trapped by my sin. And in verses 5 through 8, what do we see? We see a logical conclusion of those who are in the flesh and in the spirit. We have to be careful. Let's not read it as these are the things that you need to do to be in the spirit or to be in the flesh. But if you are in the flesh or in the spirit, this is what you will do. Let me just read that verse 5 again in the ESV. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And the question is, which one are you? Which one are you? Read verse 5 in the New Living Translation. It says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are, again, read it together, controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature and those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit. And, and some of us might be freaking out right now, like, oh, I struggle so much with sin and I can't consider any, I don't set my mind on the Spirit, I don't think of good things, like, am I, am I not in the Spirit anymore? Am I not, you know, hold that thought. Because Paul is going to answer it as we continue on in verse 9 to 11. So there's this logical conclusion. There's this logical, if you're in the flesh, then you think about the flesh. If you're in the spirit, then you think about the spirit. And those who think about the flesh cannot please God, they're dead. But now in verse 9, what does he say? He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He gives three conditional statements. I think these are going to be very important for you to understand the first couple verses that we just read, verses 4 to, to 8. Now, verse 9 to 11, the three conditional statements that he gives to us that we need to uh, watch out for. The first conditional statement, he says, is if the Spirit dwells in you, you are in the Spirit, not the flesh. If the Spirit dwells in you, then what? You are in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Number two conditional statement. If Christ is in you, then the Spirit is life. If Christ is in you, then the Spirit is life, is righteousness. Third conditional statement, he says, is if the Spirit is in you, then he will also give life to you. If the Spirit is in you, he will also give life to you. Notice of these three, there's only one statement that is an opposite or a, a no answer. Because all of them are positive, right? If you are in Christ, then you'll have life. And yeah. But there's only one in verse 9 where he says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if all of these are positive, saying, yes, if you're in the Spirit, you know, He lives in you, Christ is in you, he, you know, He's alive, all this kind of stuff, the only thing that you have to really think about is if you belong to Christ. That's the question. Do you belong to Christ? That's the bottom line question, because why? If you belong to Christ, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're reconciled, you have peace with God. We talked about that in Romans 4, 5, and 6. If you belong to Christ, you have faith in Christ, then what? Then the Spirit is in you. Then He dwells in you. And if the Spirit dwells in you, then what? You put that, you put 9 and 11 back together with 4 and 8. If the Spirit is in you, if Christ is in you, then the Spirit is in you. And if the Spirit is in you, then what? He's living in you. He's dwelling in you. And if He's dwelling in you, then you can what? Live according to the Spirit. And if you live according to the Spirit, verses 5, it says what? Then you will set your mind on the Spirit. You will walk according to the Spirit. It's not if you do all these things. This is, this is where with so many we get tripped up. So many we get this backward. We think, 
Oh, if I do these good things, I read my Bible and I pray and blah, blah. These are all great things. But only if I do the good things can I walk with God. Can I do good things in line with the things that God through the Holy Spirit wants me to do? That's the complete reverse of what Paul is saying. He's saying, no, if you are in Christ, if you have faith, you believe in Jesus Christ. Not only for your salvation, but he is your Lord. He is your master. He, every, he is everything to you. Then you will be able to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And out of that, yes, you will read your Bible. You will pray. You will serve. You will love. You will give. So many we get this wrong. We get it. We're in the opposite direction. We think still, oh, I got to do these things in order to be a good person. But it's no. Christ makes us a good person. Christ empowers us to consider good things. It's the Holy Spirit that he gives us that enables us to set our minds on Christ. Why is this so important? That means we are capable. We are capable of setting our minds on the Spirit, walking according to the Spirit, considering and thinking about good things. That means none of us have an excuse to say, I am not capable, I am not able to do so. <clears throat> Again, I think when, when, I, when we had a kid, Pastor said, Pastor Seth was saying, all your illustrations are going to be about kids. <laughs> about kids. And I realized it's so true. And I was just thinking about, like, what are the things I just don't feel capable of? And I remember when I was having, you know, when, when uh, Noah came and uh, we were just beginning our first journey as a family, so many people ask us, what language are you going to speak to him? And I was like, English? <laughs> because Erica and our, our common language is English. But they were like, oh, but wouldn't you want to teach him Chinese? Like, if she's going to teach him Korean, wouldn't you want to speak Chinese to him? And I was like, I can't speak Chinese. Like those of you who know or have heard me try to speak Chinese, you know my Chinese is like not good. Sure, I can get away a little bit with the accent slightly, but even though you know, you know real Chinese speakers, you're like, oh, his accent's like fake. It's totally off. My grammar is terrible. My voc vocabulary is even worse. And so I'm just like, no, I, I can't. I can't do that. And then somewhere along the way, as I was on Instagram, I was like reconnecting with one of my old family friends, and I realized. And I saw her uh, speaking Chinese to her daughter. And keep in mind, her, her husband is totally white. So it's just her speaking Chinese to her daughter. And I was like, wait, my Chinese is not that much worse than hers. If she can speak Chinese to her daughter, why can't I speak Chinese to Noah? And so lo and behold, what I started doing, and this is when, I mean, I'm still a little bit insecure about it, but when Erica's not in the house, right, so no one else can hear me except for Noah, like I'm changing his diaper and playing with him, and then I'm speaking Chinese to him. And all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, I am capable of speaking Chinese to my son. Even though I, I had all these insecurities, everyone said I'm horrible at Chinese, which I am. I still, I, I'm not saying I'm good. I'm like very much acknowledging I'm terrible at Chinese. But I am capable. I am Chinese. Right? My parents are ethnically Chinese. They, I, they grew up speaking Mandarin to me, so I know the language. And I realized, like, my insecurities, my self-focusedness caused me to not believe or realize that I am capable. I'm not saying I'm proficient or great, but I am capable. I am able. There's something that has been deposited in me that allows me to be able to speak this language to my son. And I started to realize, like, how many other things in my life do I have this, like, self-centered, limited, poverty kind of mindset? Where, where I think because of my insecurities, my self-centered, I'm like, no, I can't do it. No, I, 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 I don't want to try. I don't want to put myself out there. I don't want to even just take a step of faith. No, I, I can't. 
when all along God is saying, no, you can. And I want you to step out. You're going to fail, but I want you to step out in faith. There have been so many instances where that's happened in my life. Even like becoming a pastor was one of those things. I was so insecure about my competence, my ability, who I was, how great God created me to be, that I was like almost saying, no, I don't want to do it. And how many of us, this is, there, there's so many of us, we, we fall in a couple different camps. Some of us, we're, we're the insecure camp where, what? What do we do? We focus so much on the insecurities and what we're not able to do. Like, oh, I, I can't do this. I'm not able to do that. I, I failed this. And, and we have this, we're, we're crippled by fear. What A fear of failure, fear of things that happened before, fear of criticism, fear of judgment. Like, no, 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 I, I can't. I don't want to take a step of faith. And here you are. You're, you're trying to be part of life group. You're trying to serve. And your life group leader comes up to you and says, hey, I, I want to give you an opportunity to grow. You're like, no, 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 I, I can't. I, I'm too busy. And what do we do? We start making excuses. Excuses for what? Excuses so that we don't have to do the very thing that God is challenging us possibly to do. He's saying, consider, consider. This is something good that he wants you to do. You're like, no, 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 I can't, I can't. I'm, I'm too broken, too messed up insecure. You're so self-centered. You're so focused on yourself. You're not thinking not only of other people, but you're not thinking about what the Spirit is trying to do. Maybe in your life, maybe it's through these things that God is trying to build up your faith for something greater. That's one extreme. On the other extreme, we have some people who are overconfident. Some of us, we're like, oh yeah, I could, I could do it all. Yeah, Bible reading, don't worry. Seven days a week, I said to myself, what are y'all doing? I could pray. I could sign up for the conference. Easy. Check, check. I, I donate. I, look at me. I, I'm good. And so because you, you're overconfident, you start taking up on these responsibilities, and then where you eventually find yourself at some point where you what? You burn out. And you're like, God, how did I get to this place? How, how did I get here? Like, God, I, I, I believed, I, I had faith. I, I said I could do all these things through Christ who strengthened me. No, you didn't have faith in God, you weren't in the spirit. You were full of yourself and thinking about your own capability. You see, that, that side of insecurity and overcome, it's, a, it's two different sides of the same coin. It's self-centered. Because you're not using the power to consider good that the spirit is giving you. You're depending on your own power. You're thinking about your own power. And those of us that are insecure, we're like, I don't have no power. And those of us think are overconfident, we're like, oh, I got a lot of power. Neither of you are working or living by the Spirit's power. I mean, there's a third category. I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but someone's like, I don't care. I don't know. I'm not going to do anything. You're like, I don't got no power, so I'm not even going to try. You're apathetic. And that's still self-centered. And that power that the Spirit is giving you is for something greater, to consider what is good, to do something that is good. And, and I want to challenge us right now, like sometimes we need to reevaluate our relationship with Christ and what the Spirit is doing in us, especially in this situation in COVID. Some, we're, we're going, we're drifting to those sides. Some of us are so insecure and paralyzed. We're like, oh, we're going back to our old selves and we can't do anything. Woe is me. You need to focus outside of yourself and say, what is the Spirit saying? And maybe, just maybe, the, the thing is not to focus, oh, I just need to spend more time alone and in prayer. Maybe you need to serve someone. Maybe you need to consider there's something good that God wants me to do for someone to get your mind off of yourself. 
And those of you who are so self-sufficient, you're like, oh, there's so many needs, I got to do all of this stuff, and you're going to burn yourself out. Maybe you need to pause and to pray, to say, God, maybe the best thing I could do in this situation with all the people suffering right now is to pray and not to do things on my own power, but to channel the Spirit in prayer to say, Lord, would you help me to consider what is good? And maybe the best thing that is good right now is to pray because prayer is the, the greatest thing that we could do as Christians because God is the one who works, not us. So we need to reevaluate what a relationship with Christ and see, are we guided and channeled and directed by the power of of the Spirit who allows us to consider good, not ourselves. Going to the third and last point, we talked about how the Spirit gives us the power to conquer guilt, and it gives us the power to <clears throat> the power to consider good, and also now, thirdly and lastly, it gives us the power to cherish God. He gives us the power to cherish God. Let's read the last couple of verses, verses 12 to 17. It says this, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Interesting, Paul starts this whole idea of power to cherish God. He starts with this idea of so then. So then, what is the so then? So then indicates there's something new, a new reality that we are in. And, and Paul, this is one of the most logical books in all of the New Testament. Paul just, this is kind of like an essay that he builds his case Argument upon argument. So again, remember, we talked about Romans 1 through 7. Uh, he's establishing our relationship with God, reconciled to Christ, saying we have now new life. In Romans 8, this chapter, he's now describing what does this new life look like? And he said initially, this life, that, that new life that we have now, it's we have the power now to no longer, cons no longer uh, con be conquered by guilt. So, so we don't have to feel guilty, but, but just because you don't feel guilty doesn't mean all of a sudden, life is all of a sudden great. So he says, not only you have the power not to be conquered by guilt, but now you have the power to consider good. So it's not only, okay, you're not guilty, but now you can actually do good things. You're capable. And not only are you just capable, but now you're able to cherish God. So you go from a lack of guilt to a choosing good things, now to a cherishing. And inherently in this cherishing, and we're going to look at this passage, there's a sense of joy. There's, a, there's an emotional component to it. There's a relational component to it. And, and that is something so new and radical that so many of us, we miss and we don't see in this Christian life that I want us to be able to comprehend and understand as we look into these verses. Verse 12, Paul refers to Christians as debtors. As debtors. And you're like, why debtors? In the New American Standard Bible, he translates that as under obligation. And you're like, why are, why are we obligated? This seems like the total opposite of joy. This seems like the total opposite of a, of a delightful cherishing of God. Well, if you, you, have, you have to think about, we have a very, uh, many of us, especially in a younger generation, we have a very modern or even Western view of what freedom or power is. For us, freedom is the, the ability to do whatever, whenever we want at any particular time. And you think, oh, that's freedom. But you know what? That's not really freedom. 
Because remember, we're not going to go all the way, but remember Romans 1 and 2. You have two choices. Either you can live according to the flesh or you can live according to the spirit. Either you're going to be condemned by your idols of the world or you're going to worship God and God alone. You only have two choices. And so in your freedom, if your freedom is I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, then you are enslaved to your idols of the world, to your flesh. But if you are no longer enslaved to your idols, then what? You must choose the Spirit. You must choose God. You're under obligation to the Spirit. You now have no other choice. If you're not going to choose your idols, you must choose the Holy Spirit. You must choose God. And that is the greatest, most joyful thing that you can experience. Why? Because you don't want to be condemned in sin again. So Paul is saying, okay, we are debtors. We're obligated. So we must. We must live according to the Spirit. Okay, well, you're like, Pastor Paul, hold up. I know we talked about we're no longer under guilt or shame or condemnation. I know we are capable of doing good, but I don't believe that we must because not only is it, po- it's po- sure, it's possible to do good, but, but it's not probable. It's not probable. It's not likely is it really possible to do the good things and do them well and to cherish God and to have this sense of joy even when we're stuck in sin and battling this life that we struggle with? Paul says, of course. Verse 14, let's look at what he's saying. And actually, we're going to look at 14, 15, 16, and 17 all together. He calls all who are led by the Spirit of God sons of God. Sons of God, and in broader translations, you know, Affects to effectively children of God, right? Sons and daughters of God. He calls them, anyone who's led by the Spirit of God, sons of God. So if we are in Christ, remember last point, if we're in Christ, then the Spirit dwells within us. If the Spirit dwells within us, then those who are led by the Spirit of God, we are now sons and daughters of God. This is a new power we cannot develop on our own. It's, it's the Spirit that deposits this within us. And Paul begins to, to give this this uh, uh, comparison of what it means to be either children or not children. And he's implying this in the, the, in the 14, 15, 16, and 17 verses. I'm going to give us some of these points that he says. Pretty much what he's implying, he's saying, we were once slaves. We used to be slaves. And he refers to this again in the many chapters before. We were once slaves to sin. We were once orphans. We were once orphans. We had no father. And if anything, uh, he probably remembered Jesus saying, your father is Satan, is the devil. He was calling out the Pharisees. We, but we're orphans. Why? Because we have no good father in heaven. We were once what? Distant. We were once separated. We were once away, apart from God, trying to do everything on our own independently. And we were once destitute. We were once destitute. We didn't have any. We, we couldn't provide for ourselves. And this described our state. And, and if you look at this side of the equation of what Paul is saying in verses 14, 15, 16, and 17, right? Because he's, he's giving the pro, right? So he's saying, you did not receive the spirit because you used to be in the spirit of slavery. Uh, you used to be in fear, but you're not anymore. You used to, you now adopted, but you used to be orphans, right? That's the opposite. Now he's saying, if you think about all these different traits, we're slaves, orphans, distant, destitute. You can tell that person, it doesn't matter how many times you tell that person, like, yeah, you, you can conquer guilt. Yeah, you could choose what is good. But you will never be able to tell that person you can cherish and have a sense of joy. Why? Because what? I still, I'm still 
far. I'm still in fear. I'm still, I still have all these things. There's no way that we're going to be able to live with a sense of cherishing and joy and hope and intimate relationship with God. But, but this is the good, amazing news is that God gives us something so different that we never imagined. The things on the left that we were in, he gives us something completely different. It says, we once were slaves, but we are now sons and daughters who do not fear. Verse 15 it. We once were orphans, we are now adopted as children. We once were distant, we are now intimate with God the Father. We once were destitute, we are now heirs with Christ. Just, just let that soak in for a moment. We once were all these things, separated in fear, slaves, distant, destitute, but now we are sons and daughters who are loved, adopted as children, now intimate with God the Father. We are calling him Abba Father. That was a very intimate term in the original language. It was something that you only reserve for your own biological parents. We are now co-heirs with Christ. We have all the things that he has given to us. All the inheritances is given to us. Now we are sons and daughters in Christ. And what does that, what does that mean? He gives us something totally different. And, and that was the thing that he also gave Jesus. God the Father gave Jesus the Son. Luke 3 verse 22 says, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. He, had, he gave Jesus this, son, this, this sense of being well pleased, this acceptance, this welcoming into the kingdom, this welcoming into the family. And he gives us that to us as well. And I think the sad part is, we don't cherish God because we don't understand that we are children of God. Why? Because what? What, what happens what happens when, when we think about God and who he is, when we think about God and we don't have this idea that we are children of God, we think, oh, I'm afraid. Why? Because I fail. I'm afraid because I fail because I'm going to get punished or I'm going to, you know, not be accepted. Or a couple other things. We, we don't have intimacy with God. So what do we do? We treat God like a boss. Oh, I got to do all these things. I got to do all of my spiritual disciplines. I got to serve. I got to, we treat our life or any kind of spiritual authority. We extrapolate that because what? We don't see ourselves as children of God. So what do we do? We, we, we try to do more to somehow make up for what we don't have. We're still living as slaves. We can't, we can't take criticism. Anytime we get any kind of feedback, we tighten up. We get defensive. We compare ourselves with others. We burn out. Those are, the, this is none of us, right? Of course, so many of us, we struggle with these things day in and day out. Why? Because we don't see ourselves as sons and daughters of Christ. What is the opposite? Just take those things that I share and, and take the opposite. Instead of fear when we fail, what do we have? We experience love. Instead of comparison with others, what do we experience? Focus on God. We don't compare ourselves with others. Instead of, Instead of def getting defensive when we get criticized, when you, get, when you know that someone loves you and cares for you, and you're a son or daughter, and when they're disciplining you, you're like, oh, thank you for that, because I know it's in your best interest, and it's in my best interest for me to grow. And it totally changes our outlook. Why? Because we are now accepted as sons and daughters of Christ. And when we experience that, that is when, brothers and sisters, we're going to have this joy, this cherishing of God. No wonder not, many of us, we don't cherish God. We see God as a hard master. We see him as a boss. We see him as a slave driver. We see him as someone who's just trying to get us to do all these things and, and take us away from the best life that we want to live for ourselves. But here, 
when we are sons and daughters of God, Jesus Christ, God is the best life that we can have. And until we believe that, that we are children of God, then we're never going to be able to live the new life that God wants us to live, to have. And this, this whole idea of not living as a son or daughter, this is totally opposite of the gospel. Because that power that God has given to us, the power to conquer guilt, the power to consider good, the power to also now cherish God, those are not things that we do on our own strength. Think about it. As children, what do we do? We're fully dependent on God. Like on our parents, we, we, we are totally incapable. Noah is incapable of anything other than just crying. <laughs> like He needs everything. But it is in that dependence of who God is as children that we find the greatest power. It's, just, it's such an irony, right? We, don't, we, don't, we want to be able to say, I could do this on my own. But the greatest power is when you're fully dependent on God more than anything else. You give up your own independence. You become dependent on God, and, and that power rests in you. That is the paradox, is the irony, is something that's so hard for us to understand. But even though it's hard for us to understand, the good news is that Jesus really lived this out for us in our place. I want to read ver, uh, Matthew 27, verse 50. It says, And Jesus Christ, and this is uh, Jesus on the cross, the last breath that he's, he utters. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. What did he do? He was like a, a child on his deathbed saying, I now yield up my spirit. What is he saying? God, I give up my independence. I now depend on you. All the power that I have, I, I don't have any power. And, what, and remember, if you remember in verse 11, what did he depend on? He believed that it was the power of the Holy Spirit from verse 11, it says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead can also give life to us, he believed that the spirit was going to give him life. How much more will we be able to say, God, I give up my independence to be dependent on you as a child of God so that the power is not my own, but it comes from you. And you give me the power to be able to conquer God. You give me the power to be able to consider good, and you give me the power to be able to cherish God. That's why the one thing for us this morning is that the Holy Spirit not only frees us from our old lives, but frees us for a new life. I want to give us a couple of next steps for the morning. And just the exact same things I just talked about. First thing is conquer guilt by daily meditating on the cross. Conquer guilt by daily meditating on the cross. Remember that eternal perspective, that system, the new system we're in. That new system we're in, it's only possible because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And what he's going to do to sin. Sin has no longer, no, no dominion over us. And so in those moments you feel guilty, what do you have to do? Think of the cross. So when you think of the cross, you're like, oh, that guilt, it's, it's on Jesus. No longer on me anymore. Meditate on that. Meditate on the cross. Anytime you feel shame, guilt, condemnation. Second thing, consider good by thinking about the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not saying by setting your mind on the Spirit, therefore you're going to be in the Spirit. No, I'm saying you already believe in, those of us who already believe in Jesus Christ, if you don't, I want to invite you to believe and have faith, take a step of faith to say, I want to live for Jesus for the rest of my life because I believe his life is so much better than any other life there is. But those of us who already believe in Jesus Christ, we have the Spirit in us, let's think of the Spirit. Put your mind, set your mind on it because that's a natural outcome of being in the Spirit. You set your mind on the things of the Spirit. What is the Spirit? 
Galatians 5, verse 22. Just put that verse on your phone. Put it, put a, print it out. Put it on your desk as you're working from home or you're studying from your room. Just say, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Just meditate. Think of those things. Consider, God, how can I live these things out? I am capable because of you, not because of myself, because of you. And I'm not going to give in to my insecurities or my overconfidence, but I'm going to think and I'm going to consider those things, live them out in this day. And lastly, it's to cherish God by identifying yourself as a son or daughter of God. Just, just You might need to spend some time in reflection and just write down, how am I a, ch- a child of God? What are the ways that I am a child of God? And I know many of us, we grew up in broken families. We had not very good examples of biological parents. So it's, it's hard to imagine, oh, God is my parent, my father. I, I don't like that. And so you, you, you have to develop a new understanding of what your heavenly father is like, your perfect heavenly father who loves you, who cherishes you, who desires you, who cares for you. Go look into the scripture and identify what does it mean to cherish God, to know yourself as a son or daughter of God and how he is well pleased with you. And you can have that joy and that hope. And one last thing, it's not in the next steps, but as you consider what is good, as you cherish God, let's let's begin to pray for our city. Let's begin to pray for Hong Kong. Because it's it's, it's this power that God has given us, the Holy Spirit, power that no one else has. If you do not have Christ, you do not have this power. And man, does it break my heart that there's so many people in this city who do not have this power. But we have it. So can we not share this power, use this power, live out this power to bless and to encourage so many other people? I know the conference is coming up. Let's pray for it because there are many people who are struggling right now who are going to be at that conference. And let's pray and believe that God is going to do something amazing. Let's pray and believe that God is going to speak to us at the conference and release us, send us out into the city whether over technology or in safe different ways that we can meet the needs of different people. Let's, let's pray for those things. And so can I just invite us to respond wherever you are, if you can just stand in place. I want to just ask you, just to, just for a moment, pause and just ask Holy Spirit, reveal yourself to me. He's there. I I believe all of us who believe in Jesus Christ, he's there, he's within us. Let's just ask him, make yourself known to me. Make Help me to be conscious of you. Speak to me. Give me this power that I have. Maybe I don't appropriate it, but I have it. And allow me to live out with this power, this new life that you've given to me. Can we just do that? Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.